chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. reads like this. Uh, Notice the second paragraph there. That's where we'll begin. As Jesus was walking along. We'll start there. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Verses 1 to 9, a wonderful story that will be known to some of you, uh, many of you indeed. Um, Genesis chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot and all the possessions that they had gathered and the persons whom they had acquired in Haran. And they set forth to go to the land of Canaan. And when they had come to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and invoked the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on by stages toward the Negev. And we pray God's blessing on the reading of his word. I wonder how you feel about making a new beginning. Seems to me that there's nothing really quite like a brand new start. You know, that first day of your holidays. Good day, isn't it? That morning when you arise early to set off to pastures new, I don't know, or to to go visit some place at the other side of the world. It's a great, great feeling, isn't it? 
or getting up at four in the morning to go fishing or something like that, just to set up. What a great feeling that is, to get a brand new start, a new season, a new term, a new football season. When even if you support Burnley, all things are possible at the beginning of a new season, aren't they? To sit at the turf and smell the grass. A brand new start. Nothing quite like a brand new start. Full of expectation as you think about the new possibilities that lie before you. Well, Matthew got a brand new start. Do you remember his story? We read it at the very beginning. Matthew the tax collector. Matthew was a man who worked for the government. And not just any government, but an oppressive, occupying government. Imagine what that would be like. Imagine what you'd think about someone like Matthew, who collected your taxes and gave them to an occupying power. There he is, sitting in the tax booth, and Jesus comes to him. Jesus, who you might expect to think pretty poorly of Matthew. But he marches over to him and says, come, follow me. And Matthew just leaves everything and follows. Quite something for Matthew. What a new beginning. With risk, I think. Leaving behind his security. Leaving behind the promise of a successful career. And of some secure financial security. Says no to all that. And immediately follows Christ. And then that story that we read second. But a story about happenings much earlier. Abraham. Or as he was first called. Abram or Avram. Like Avram Grant. You know that. Uh, that's really what it is. Yeah Avram. God speaks to him and says, just set off, Avram. Just leave your father's household and set off and go to a land that I will show you. And up he gets with all of his household and his stuff and he sets out on a new beginning. Nothing quite like a new beginning. And for Abraham, it wasn't just a new beginning for him. His new start represented, in a sense, a new start for all the world. I don't know if you know your Bible, but if you do, you'll know that those first 11 chapters of Genesis, before you get to this story of the call of Abraham, that first 11 chapters is full of the failure of humankind. Human beings just keep getting it wrong. And God to some extent, seems to wash his hands of humanity now and then. Remember the story of the garden, representative story, human beings doing what's wrong, and God banishes them from the garden. Then we have the story of Cain killing his brother. Of the story of the flood, where God sees the injustice and violence. I don't know if you read that story. You notice that how is so much of a response to violence in the world. It feels like our world in some sense. Violence everywhere. And God says we have to make a brand new start. And he wipes them out. And starts again. These are stories that speak to us of the way that human beings mess things up. And God wishing in a way to wash his hands of them, but never being able to. 
constantly reaching out to humanity in love and saying, you know, I'll find some way to give you a brand new start. So we get Noah starting all over again. And even that doesn't last very long. And so chapter 11, we have this strange story of humanity coming and building a tower to reach up to heaven so that nobody would need God anymore and people could make a name for themselves. And God confuses them and scatters them in this story. And then we come to this call of Abraham. As if God wants to say, human beings keep getting it wrong, but in the end, I can't give up on humanity. I'm looking for people who would follow me. And he turns to Abraham and he says, come on, leave your father's land and go to the land that I'll show you. And in calling Abraham, God calls a people. God says from Abraham, I'm going to make a great people and and this people will become a blessing for the whole of the world. From then on, God's been doing just that, I think, hasn't he? Calling forth a people. Call it the church, if you like. Calling forth the people of God to so live for God that they might make some difference in the world. That people finding them might recognize something of the power of God. Come to surrender their own lives to him. Abraham, he says, I want to make you a nation. So that the rest of the world will be blessed by you. And of course, Abraham and all of the followers after Abraham get it wrong in all kinds of ways. They keep thinking that God's grace is just for themselves. But the word very clearly says that it's not just for themselves. But it's so that they might share the wonderful news of the love of God with all the world. That they might be a blessing for other people. And so there we have Jesus in Matthew's gospel becoming a blessing to others. And calling others to follow him in that love. What a great beginning. And Abraham's journey, this leaving of his father's land and looking for a land that the Lord will show to him, is a journey that begins with the word of the Lord. And you you think when we read this story that perhaps it says something to us and our journeys. You're on a journey, aren't you? A journey of life. A faith journey, perhaps. And our journey begins with the word of the Lord. It comes very clearly, doesn't it? The Lord said to Abram, that's in in the first verse, and then a bit later on, God appears to Abram and says to him. You get this all over the Bible, don't you? I don't know what you feel about it when you read the Bible and over and over again it keeps saying, God said to such and such. How, How does that grab you? On the one hand, you think to yourself, well, this is extraordinary, isn't it? You know, just a few paragraphs later, God said this and God said that. If you're really reading and thinking, surely there comes a time when you think to yourself, it's not like that with me and my world. I mean, did any of you ever hear God speak? Don't answer that because I know some of you will say, yes, I certainly did. Perhaps all of us might say we did, but it depends what we mean by it. If I asked you, did any of you ever hear the voice of God like an audible voice? Well, most of us, I think, would say, no, I didn't. But just one or two people you meet in your life will say, well, I'm sure I did once. But does it happen every paragraph, every page, every chapter? I mean, the world that this Bible speaks about sometimes seems like a different world. God speaks here and he speaks there. And Abraham just seems to respond as if it's the most normal thing in the world, doesn't he? 
you know, we don't, it's not all underlined. And then it says something like, Abraham was amazed that God spoke to him. Wouldn't you be amazed if God spoke to you? We're just told, God said, and Abraham got up and went. It doesn't, so on the one hand, it's extraordinary that God speaks. On the other hand, it seems to be saying to us that this is part of our everyday, ordinary life. I wonder if we paid more attention to the voice of God in one another, in the happenings of the world, in our reflecting upon our lives, in our reading of the scriptures, in our listening and paying attention to what's going on around us. I wonder... If we paid more attention to that stuff, and if we were to say, God, might you in some way speak to me with a strange, still voice in my heart? I might not hear great, you know, bells and whistles. I might not hear something loud that others would hear. But if I paid more attention to what's really happening behind what's happening, might I hear the word of God, in the ordinary and everyday aspects of daily living. Well, Abraham did. And Abraham responds silently and obediently. He just sets off. What a great response. So many of the people that we read about in the Bible respond in a different way, don't they? God says, do this, and they say, what, me? I'm not old enough, I'm not qualified enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not clever enough, I'm not good looking enough. Whatever it might be, any old excuse to keep me from doing what I think God is telling me to do. But not Abraham. Or Matthew for that matter. Or the other disciples that Jesus calls to follow. Perhaps later Abraham gets into trouble. He wavers a bit, doesn't he? In due course. But right here, he's up and away. Abraham responds immediately with no words and just simply does as God says. And in so doing, Abraham discovers God for himself. Do you notice the journey? Leave your father's house and go to the land that I will show you. Anniversaries are about that, I think. The leaving of our parents' houses to find our own way in the world, to find our own relationship with God. So that from generation to generation, each new generation might find its own walk with God. And what we have here in this church and what you know and experience day by day in many ways is because of people who went before We stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. And yet, although standing on the shoulders of others, we are invited to make the experience of God our own. And Abraham is called out from his father's house to a new land that God will show him. What a risk, setting off like that. No return ticket, just set off. No security, just follow God. And I wonder if God isn't calling us, each one of us in one way or another, to a kind of conversion, to a new experience of God, to really knowing God for ourselves. No longer reliant on the stories of others. No longer reliant on the experiences of others. However wonderful those others might be. No longer in the Father's household. But cast adrift. Well, not quite cast adrift, but rather launched on our own career with God. And I wonder if there are those in this room who have to discover for themselves 
a relationship with God. To hear God speak and to respond. And I wonder what that responding might mean for you. It might mean the saying, you know, I've lived my life pretty much without God and I need God at the center. And even if all my friends and others might laugh at me, I'm going to take this moment to say, yes, God, I'm going to follow you, come what may. I'm going to seek to understand your values and live by them and I'm going to make a change and a difference in my life. I'm going to experience a conversion. Or perhaps there are others of us, we've been at this for a long, long time, but it's lost its power. It's lost its vitality. And we need to know afresh and anew the living voice of God. We need to know afresh and anew what it is to follow after God. Abraham leaves behind his father's house. And he gets to Bethel. Well, to us these names mean little, do they? Does it, do these names mean anything to you at all? He leaves his father's house and he gets to Bethel on the east and I on the west. Or is it the other way around? You tell me tomorrow. But, you know, uh, and they don't mean anything to us, do they? It might help if you knew that in Hebrew, the word for house is Beth. So he leaves, he leaves Beth. Dad. I'll just say that for now. He leaves the house of his dad. He leaves Beth-Av. And he ends up in Beth-El. And you know what El is, don't you? Beth-El. You know what Beth-El means? Bethel means the house of God. Abraham is called to leave the house of his father, Beth-Av, and to go to Bethel, the house of God. To make a journey away from what he, he knew all about it, to a kind of risk journey, a journey where he might come to know God anew and afresh. And I wonder whether God doesn't call us on a similar journey ourselves. And as Abraham journeys, his eye is always on the future. You notice this about what God says to Abraham. Set off to a country that I will show you. And then all these promises, I will make you a great nation and all the nations of the world will be blessed in you. Now that was a problem for a number of reasons. You know this, don't you? Reason number one is that Abraham was, you know how old Abraham was when he gets this word? Abraham was 75. At the age of 75, he gets this word, set off across the world and I'm going to make you a great nation and all the nations in the world will be blessed by you. And Abraham must think, I'm 75. He must just think that, mustn't he? I'm 75. Are you really talking to me? Not only that, God says to him, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And Abraham says, I'm not only 75, I'm childless. The word says, you're... You know, you're, there's going to be a family from you, and not just a family, but a great family, so great it'll be a nation. And Abraham says, I'm 75, and yes, I'm married, but my wife has never given birth to a child. She's the same age or older, and we don't seem to have much prospect here. But Abraham sets off, and he believes the word. He's told that he'll inherit a land. And when he starts to move off into this land, you know what he finds? That the land that he's been promised is inhabited by other people, the Canaanites. Imagine what that must be like. He must be wondering all the time, 75, no kids, I'm going to have a big family. And I'm going to inherit this land. 
But there are all these people here. His, his, his eye is on the future, but in the here and now, his life is full of ambiguity. And isn't that the way it is when you become a follower of Jesus? An eye on the future to the kingdom that is yet to be revealed. For we pray for it, don't we? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We look with one eye to the future. For that day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess. That day when justice will rule. When all of the injustice will be done away. When there will be no more crying and no more pain. We look forward to the day of resurrection. We look forward to the day of another world. We sang about it earlier. And in the meantime, we have to live here and now in a world full of ambiguity, inhabited by Canaanites and by people who have no understanding about God at all, perhaps. But we're called to live out our life following God in the midst of it. And it's full of risk and pain and difficulty and great joy and excitement too because somehow God can make even us, 75 though we may be, Ugly though we might be, no prospects though we might have, God might make us, as God's people, a source of blessing for others. And in the midst of all this, Abram worships. That's really all we're told about this journey. He sets off on a journey, and do you notice what he keeps doing? He, he finds a place and God speaks to him again. And when God speaks to him and gives him a promise, he makes an altar. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should copy him and go out making altars. I'm not even sure how I'd begin. How would you start? He makes an altar and he calls on the name of the Lord. In other words, he stops and he worships. In the midst of ambiguity, in the midst of all kinds of confusion, in the midst of incomplete promises, in the midst of sometimes thinking, God, what are you doing in this world of ours? In the midst of all that, he stops from time to time. And he worships the living God. Half the world thinks it doesn't matter whether you worship or not. You know that, don't you? It's irrelevant whether you believe. It doesn't matter whether there's a God. Well, I'm here to tell you tonight it does matter. It makes all the difference to our living. To believe in God, to love God, to follow God, to trust God and to walk God's way. It makes all the difference in the world. If we punctuate our lives with worship, we find that really we begin to live. We find when we begin to acknowledge the givenness of all things, when we begin to recognize God's place in our lives and to worship, we find that we really start to live. That we really can be a blessing to other people, not because of us, but because of the grace of God that we discover when we stop to worship. If only we'd take a little longer. If only we'd stop more often and pay attention to the things that really are. If only we'd stop and worship and put God at the very center of our lives. G.K. Chesterton talked about it when thinking about saying grace at the mealtime. He said, well, you say grace. Well, well enough. But I say grace before the play and the opera and grace before the concert and the pantomime and grace before I open a book and grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing and grace before I dip the pen in the ink. He knew that at the center of his living was God. 
And that what he needed to do was acknowledge God and worship. And I wonder if we did the same, whether we wouldn't find our lives more truly inhabited by God's grace. I wonder if we wouldn't find a kind of freedom from anxiety by which we might really get up and follow God wherever he leads us. Richard Foster knew about this when he taught us really to recognize that all things are given to us by God. If what we have, he said, we receive as a gift. And if what we have is to be cared for by God, and if what we have is available to others, then we will possess freedom from anxiety. I think he had something there. If our lives would be punctuated by real worship, we might find a greater wholeness The kind of wholeness and healing that Matthew found when he got up and followed Jesus from the tax booth, when he began to journey wherever Christ would take him, and when he began to become a blessing for others. This church has been a blessing for others through the years. With the grace of God, it might continue to be so. And with the grace of God, perhaps we individually and as a group, might journey with God to wholeness whereby we ourselves might become a blessing for others. Amen.